Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. This is the story of a girl who cried a river and drowned the whole world. And while she looks so sad in photographs, I absolutely love her when she smiles. After eight years and three independent releases, Nine Days had the debut of a lifetime with the sugary, sweet, and ultra-catchy song, Absolutely, Story of a Girl. However, immediately after their massive success, the band vanished from radio airwaves. This week, we're joined by Kyle Kilday, the director of the upcoming Last Scene documentary, to discuss if Nine Days brought the one-hit thunder, or if they just ran out of things to say. One hit is all you need to make the money guaranteed, and you can live off royalties forever. And it makes me wonder, is it just a blunder, or is it one-hit thunder? So you picked Nine Days. I, I did. We, I would say you absolutely did. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. So, uh, well, like, let's get this out of the way first. You reached out to us because you're working on a documentary. So let's talk about that real quick before we dive into Nine Days. Sure, yeah. Working on a documentary. It's called The Last Scene. And it's basically about the 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 way of of, of uh punk and you know what's kind of remembered now is like the, the emo era of like the late nineties, early two thousands, going through the story of how the those kids kinda kinda built their own thing in like VFW halls and and uh, like church basements, you know, like around the country. And then it kinda grew and then eventually broke out to the mainstream and and then kind of like what's happened since then and in in what ways was it kind of like the last 
kind of what we think of as like a rock scene, like an organic rock scene, you know, and kind of like what the future is. Uh, could that kind of thing happen again or, or, you know, what might it look like? How I'm trying to get, kind of set it apart from most like music docs is uh, instead of like focusing just like really intently on the details of like specific bands and you know like what they did uh it was like the last group of bands that kind of came up with a foot in kind of both worlds in like the analog world and then like the digital world yeah as i'm not sure how old you are but as someone who's in their mid-30s right now like i definitely Mm -hmm. got to experience both discovering bands from reading liner notes and buying comps as well as discovering bands because of napster and like looking into downloading these songs by bands that I had heard of through other people, but never actually sat down to listen to. So it really was like seeing both sides of discovering new music as well. Yeah, totally. You couldn't really pick a better band to discuss someone who'd seen both sides of, of the uh, music industry between the late nineties and the two thousands, the nine days Mm -hmm. had no clue how extensive this band's discography and career went until you picked (laughs) these guys. So were you um, a fan of nine days specifically, or just a really big fan of the song? Um, I was actually, I mean, I heard the song on the radio, of course, the, you know, absolutely. And I was like, okay. So I like checked them out and then I got the record, the the album, the Madden crowd, right? I think it's called. Yeah. Yeah. And then I listened to it and it's a pretty solid record. Like they didn't have another, you know like big hit like that like i don't know do you know how like uh, like uh, like what it peaked at so single? what i so what i ended up looking at the the single peaked at six on the billboard hot 100 which is oh wow hugely like for like a pop punkish band is yeah. really impressive like that is a big chart topper the album itself peaked it was their only thing that got onto the charts at all peaked at uh 67 on the billboard charts which again for like a pop punk record which is a very niche sound is a pretty decent standing on records overall so what i thought was interesting it's it's really interesting that this is coming out literally the week after we just did an episode on sr 71 um, because <laughs> okay. the original drummer for SR71 left that band to join Nine Days when they went on the Maddening Crowd tour. Uh, so there's like this weird bleed over. Right. I was doing a bunch of research on the band because I have never really listened to anything beyond Absolutely. And I don't know why that is because I mm-hmm. loved this song when it first came out. And I, it was definitely at a time when I would just go out and buy an album based on how much I loved a song on it. So I don't know why I never did, but going through like their band history, they're pretty awesome band that's still around. They still have like the same members from like the get go, which is crazy to me that they formed in like 95 and haven't changed band members like that's insane. But they started as a heavy metal band in the like late 80s, early 90s, but then decided what I read was that they decided that they wanted to focus on more pop songs. And their like unwritten rule was if the song didn't sound good, just played on an acoustic guitar, then it wasn't a good enough song for them to pursue. Okay. And I think that that's a really interesting concept on how to write a pop song. But like, I don't disagree because I think about, I'm not sure about like the radio stations that you grew up on, but like the radio stations that I had, like Y100 was a big Philly radio station, mm-hmm. constantly were having 
they called it the Sonic Sessions, but it was like bands would come in and play like a five, six acoustic song set. Like I, you mentioned Thursday earlier, like Thursday came on and did an acoustic set to promote uh, War All the Time at that Mm -hmm. point. But, like, there is something to be said about, like, I really have always loved acoustic versions of poppy songs. Yeah. And I think it only works acoustically if it is a really good, catchy sing-along song. It really helps the acoustic performance work a lot of the time. So it's it's interesting to see it from that perspective. Because you're kind of limited to what you can... to the instrument... like, instrumentation. Exactly. So, like, the... (laughs) If like the melody's not not catchy or you know the lyrics don't you know in this case the lyrics aren't really anything special I guess but it's definitely very catchy. <laughs> yeah. So you know what's funny my my aunt she actually dated somebody in the band. Oh. In, the- <laughs> like in the late nineties, and I want to say it was the drummer who so whoever the drummer was I'm looking at the members like the the member I don't I don't remember maybe but like Nick sounds familiar like was he the drummer. <laughs> I don't know. Bass guitar, bass guitar, and backup oh, oh, vocalist. He's the bassist. Oh, who's the drummer? Vincent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's Vincent. I don't know, but I remember that too because I remember uh, you know like seeing her like randomly and and like he was there, like this dude was there, and then he was like, "Yeah, I'm in that band Nine Days." And I'm like, "What? Really? That's awesome." So like the weird thing with this band, and I guess it's kind of this. This was one of those bands where I was reading about their career. And it was kind of like a frustrating read because then I went and looked, listened to some of their music on Spotify. And Mm -hmm. I thought that even their old stuff was really catchy. Like they wrote good, catchy pop tunes, but they self-released three full length albums. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their first album they recorded in nine days. And that's where they got their band name from. And Mm -hmm. then they could not get signed to save their life. Like they just kept sending these independent self-produced recordings out and like no one would bite. Like I think one of the quotes I read was we got turned down twice by every record label you can imagine. And then they wrote absolutely and sent just that single out to a bunch of labels and got signed by like not even like a like a Sony. It was like a a side label of Sony, 550 Music, also known as the Sony 550 Music. Mm-hmm. they put out yeah. the album the maddening crowd in 2000 and in 2000 550 records collapsed and then they just their second album sony held on to and didn't make public until 2006 so they let it just sit on the shelf for six years and then at that point the band just said let us buy our tapes and we'll just put it out ourselves and went back to self-releasing so this is definitely one of those like record label fuckery situations where a band probably had a lot of potential. Their second single didn't perform amazingly, but I thought it was a really good song when I listened to it. Was it uh, back to me? No, is if I am, I think it's Oh called. right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're standing on a ledge. It looks like you might fall so far down or maybe you were thinking about jumping. And I was like, this is catchy. Like, <laughs> I can deal with this. Uh, you know, song, I, uh, my favorite song on, the album, on that album is um, Bitter. That song, okay. Bitter. That's my favorite song on the album. And it's funny because the other guy who sings, like the, the second vocalist, it seems like they kind of split the songs like half and half kind of, it sounds like, right? He, he kind of reminds me of Matt Pryor, like his voice. That's yeah. Like, he has kind of like a similar style voice. Uh, which I didn't like 
at the time I didn't really think about, but then, you know, a little later I was like, Oh, you know, his, his voice is like pretty similar to like Matt Pryor's voice. And talk about yeah. another musician who's able to like maneuver his songs into acoustic renditions that sound beautiful. Like Matt Pryor, mm-hmm. <laughs> like basically just had a whole acoustic side project with new Amsterdam's. Yeah. He's been doing a, like a series of live uh, stream concert things, you know, in the, yeah during this quarantine yeah. thing that are pretty good. I watched one of them. I've loved seeing the artists that, especially artists from like that pop punk scene, just stepping up and doing all types of cool stuff. I know like uh, we posted on our own face, the the one hit Thunder Facebook page, Goldfinger's quarantined performance of here in my bedroom. Mm -hmm. It's cool seeing music come together in such a difficult trying time as, as right now. Yeah. It's definitely um, a bummer. Like the, like the reason behind it. Right. But yeah, just, just kind of like imagine like, what's going on wasn't going on but then artists on top of that also decided to like to like this just started happening where people were just doing this kind of live stream stuff and basically like a personal interaction with them how cool that we would think that would be but then it's kind of like a bummer when you think about the context of like why it's happening it's cool seeing people still take that and be like all right i can't go out and be with people but i can be there for people while still being safe in my house. And like that, I think has brought the best out of a lot of people. It's not like you said, the whole circumstance of why this is happening is awful and it sucks. But I think anytime that I get to see the world at its worst and still see it bring the best out of people is like a humbling thing to witness when there is so many opportunities for the world to not show you that (laughs) and for you to just be like, yeah, it's just a terrible place. And it's only going to get worse. <laughs> so like seeing uh, humankind step up every once in a while and do something really great in its most treacherous time is uh, it's always heartwarming, if nothing else. Yeah. But yeah, so you've got nine days. They they put out this song. The song is massive. Single comes out. Second single comes out completely flops. I was hooked to the radio in 2000. I never heard the song until today when I pulled it up on Spotify. So <laughs> definitely was not getting the radio play that uh, that a single should. And then that essentially is the end of Nine Days' major record, record label career, but they've continued to put out four more self-released albums, are still an That's active band touring. Like, it's crazy. I kind of, like, didn't even realize that. They... I knew they had a al- they released an album after that in like 2002, I think it was. Um, which uh, I'm not really I don't really remember any of the songs off it though. Yeah, so so happily unsatisfied was yeah, their, that's their second album. Uh, the release date continued to be delayed by Epic Records five 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 fifty music until the band was ultimately dropped and they put the album on their website for a public download. Hmm. Well, 2000. Well, which which is kind of weird because 2002. It's funny to, to like tie it back into the doc. It's like 2002 was like a huge year for like this scene that I'm talking about. The, the like the more like punk that 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 kind of came from like the punk world, like the the more like underground stuff. Um, but like it by by 2002, I mean like Dashboard was huge. 
Newfound Glory had blown up. Take Him Back Sunday was coming out with like Tell Your Friends, which kind of like t- just kind of w- was like a phenomenon. So like 2002, like Warp Tour was like yeah, that's like peak Warp Tour. Yeah, that, yeah that's like mainstream tour. popularity Warp Tour. Yeah, I interviewed um, somebody who like has worked for Warp Tour since around that time, and she was telling me um, you can say by statistics like when the peak was. So like the peak for Warp Tour was like I, th- I think it was like 2005 in terms of ticket sales. That was like yeah. the year they they like sold the most tickets. They sold like half a million tickets or something like that to Warp Tour, which is which is unbelievable. That totally makes sense. Because here's the thing that I think about when I think of like the popularity of Warp Tour and I think about the popularity of like this type of music is like pop punk and uh, even to a deep, like a much deeper extent, like the metalcore and like a lot of that, like mm-hmm. skate, all that stuff that was huge in 2004, 2005, 2006, starting all the way back with, like you said, Taking Back Sunday in 2002 like the taking back Sundays or the newfound glories that made it big on the radio was like one out of every 100 bands. You know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I could go into school and there'd be, you know, out of my class of like 400 kids, all 400 of them could probably sing along to cut from the team. You know what I mean? But maybe only 30 of those 400 kids like knew who Thursday was or like knew some of these more like nichier side bands that just happened to be from that Jersey Philly area that we were growing up in. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden you have MySpace, and all of a sudden through all these bands, you can, you can physically go to your favorite bands page and see how many other people also like your favorite band and then start clicking into profiles and befriending the people who like your favorite band and all of a sudden, this music that felt like, oh, I'm the only really person that cares about this. Now we finally have a way to connect each other by a mutual love of that type of music. Mm-hmm. And I think that that empowered so many more people to like go out and like go see Warp Tour, go see these bands live, and then also find other bands through all of that. Like, I, I think that it was sure. MySpace. Play- I- I'm assuming you cover an aspect of this in the doc because it would. I find it hard to not, but like MySpace was such a huge facet of like that 2004 to 2007, mm-hmm. like explosion. Yeah, for sure. And I think nine days missed out on it. You know what I mean? Like if nine days was a band that was formed in like, yeah, nine days. Missed yeah, out they were formed in like 2004. If absolutely came out in 2004, we wouldn't be doing an episode on nine days is, is how I feel. Right. About it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Because they would, cause then they would have been kind of grouped together with like, like all American rejects, like cartel, like bit like that kind of like wave, like all time low, I guess. Yeah, I definitely think all American rejects. It would have been like part of that. Yeah, I think all American rejects nine days tour circa two thousand four would have been like a huge success. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, it was for definitely sure. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy, and getting to eat restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. 
Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. Because it was definitely like they weren't, I would never say that they were pop punk, pop punk, but they were definitely like that alternative power pop that was heavily influenced by a pop punk sound. Yeah. And you know, that was back when like pop music, it was, it was before they just decided to just cut rock based pop out of the like pop music industry, you know, like, yeah. uh, you know, like now it's like the most you're going to get is maybe like Sean Mendez, like wears a guitar. <laughs> I call yeah. it like wearing a guitar. He doesn't like play a guitar. He's wearing a guitar. Ed Sheeran, I guess maybe was like the last one or I mean, like, if you're the one to be maybe like John Mayer, maybe is like the last pop star that was like a true like guitar, like a true instrumentalist. That dude can shred. That was around that time, too. That, you know, I mean, that was like around 2002 or whatever when he first came out, I think. Right. Yeah. And but anyway, I, we're getting off topic. Well, I proposed I proposed this on the uh, SR 71 episode, but I, I wonder if it holds some weight as well with. You have this album coming out in 2000 mm-hmm. and like I've listened to the 2002 album. There wasn't anything that was like a standout track, but it's a lot more of the same. It's a lot more of this upbeat, poppy music. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if another factor on why this didn't work out for nine days is you've got the first album before a September 11th happens and the second one after a September 11th happened. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if in like a weird subconscious way, we just didn't want to hear cheery bubblegum pop songs about love right now. You know what I mean? Like again, I can tie that back in with the doc again. Um, Buddy Nielsen from Census Fail. We talked about like, there hasn't been kind of like a public dissection that, cause we're like 20 years on since nine 11 now. And there hasn't really been like a look back and like thing like, how did nine 11 affect, you know, like this or that or whatever. And we talked about like, what effect 9-11 had kind of like on like like on the scene and you know people say different things but he's saying that like that's why he that he thinks it's because of 9-11 like we had like more angry aggressive yeah yeah Yeah. the boomlet and like the screamo you know yeah like you know like since his fail the used it was pissed off it was pissed off music it it was that and i think I think you have that double whammy because you have that combination of September 11th happens. So people are pissed off. And Mm -hmm. then you have like, you know, there was the rock against Bush albums. Like you had a president in office at the time that like 
didn't represent anything that like punk ethos had anything to do with. So like there's like that aggravation as well. Obviously after the, after he won a second term, I feel like the music got even more angry and frustrated. I mean, it's one of those things where you look back at it now and it's like, Oh, what a great time for music though. (laughs) Like terrible, terrible time for the world, but the great music it gave us a plus. Yeah, true. But like, it's funny, like, you don't, but it's, but it's not like remembered that way. And that's another, like, that's another theme I'm touching on is, is like the lack of respect, you know, critically. And, um, of course, none of these bands like give a shit about that, but, um, (laughs) but you know, like, nonetheless, it's like, how many, how many times can we hear that? Like Bruce Springsteen is, is this like godly genius or, uh, you know, David Crosby or what, you know, like, you know, like pick any of these bands or whatever, like from our parents time. And then it's like, why can't Chris Conley and like Matt Pryor and like Jeff Rickley be considered be like in that realm, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like it's 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 weird to me. And I don't know if it's just a function of time or whatever, but I don't think it. But if you kind of like look at how people thought about musicians, I mean, like, who were the musicians from that era, like never mind, like this like particular scene um, that my doc is about, but like from that era, like who were the musicians, the bands that people do consider to be like important or like notable? I mean, pretty much it's like Dave Grohl, right? Like Foo Fighters. Yeah, and even then, I feel like the Foo Fighters. David Grohl is one of those people who he makes great music, and I love the Foo Fighters, and I'll always like the Foo Fighters, and he always seems like a really cool dude, mm-hmm. but he will never be as important as Kurt Cobain. Like, it's like one of those unfortunate things where it's like, no one is, I mean, instant messenger doesn't exist anymore, admittedly. But Mm -hmm. even when the Foo Fighters were at the peak, no one was making a Foo Fighter lyric, their away message on AIM. They were still making it Nirvana lyrics. You know what I mean? Like he was. Right. Or uh, brand new. (laughs) Yeah. Or dashboard. Yeah. Like, really, those were, when you think about what were the lyrics that people our age at that time were actually connecting to it was the pop punk stuff which Mm -hmm. i think you're making a great point like these bands didn't get the recognition they deserve they didn't and they still really don't like it it feels like if you ask most people they basically say that once grunge went away so did all the great rock lyricists and right which which is completely false but yeah yeah there's 20 years of music to say otherwise but yeah, funny because it's like some of it did go mainstream, obviously, but there was also but there but there was also just this sense that it was like never fully accepted. And I hear and I've heard a lot of stories about bands talking about when they did make it to majors, like it didn't go, like it didn't go well, <laughs> like yeah. they didn't you know like it didn't go well for them, and they basically kind of like they they rejected it themselves you know like in some cases uh they didn't want to be on it like they didn't want to like get get into the system like that you know the machine only only a few bands really made it big but like even the ones who like made it the biggest like my chemical romance like it was never like they they never actually like became a mainstream band that like themselves yeah they became like this they became popular Yeah, they became like a popular symbol of all of of the entire genre, almost like. Yeah. And I think that this all does tie back again to like nine days and thinking about the record label from a perspective like that, because I 
I feel like, again, they were a band that, you know, that I, I listen to a podcast every week uh, called Labeled, which is all about uh, it's a fully focused on Tooth and Nail Records and the history of Tooth and Nail Records and like all mm-hmm. the ups and downs there. They had an interview, Brandon Ubel of Tooth and Nail Records. Brandon was very strict on keeping those song rights. And they were breaking down how like a major record label does not survive off of the the first couple fallout boy albums you know what i mean like when they sign fallout boy mm-hmm. and they put out fallout boy they're not surviving off of those record sales what they're surviving off of is owning the original tapes to like the beatles and elvis and they'll mm-hmm. sign a fallout boy and they hope that a fallout boy will become their next beatles or elvis but if the fallout boy doesn't they can always just put out a new beatles greatest hits record that'll sell millions of copies and fund the next experiment And Mm -hmm. I feel like nine days is like your prime example of just a, hey, this band's tried to sign with us multiple times. We're not interested. They hear this one catchy as shit song and go, all right, let's sign them because that catchy as shit song has some dollar signs in our eyes. But I don't think they ever had a genuine interest in seeing if nine days was going to be their next Beatles. (laughs) Like, I think that it was always we need to get this song out there because we see dollar signs with the song absolutely right. story of a girl. Yeah. Yeah. Like there isn't a personal relationship. Like that's why a lot of the bands that I have talked to, they, they didn't want to be on major labels because they knew that, that, you know, and this was born out when like the ones who made it, you know, like their experience, like they were vindicated it's completely impersonal. Yeah. Right. And it's just like a biz, like it's a numbers game. It is a shame because I listen to the songs and I see nine days as being this, this band with an entire, like a massive back catalog that is just going completely on deaf ears to the world. We don't do this a lot, but I want to take a look at their Spotify plays and the drop off on their, their most popular song to their second most popular song. Mm -hmm. Uh, Absolutely. A story of a girl, the radio edit has 59 million plays. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm reading that right. 59 million plays. The second is their second single, If I Am, with 2 million. So it is a a 57 million listenership drop. And then that's all, like their entire, of their top five, two of their top five is absolutely story of a girl. (laughs) And two is If I Am. The radio I love edit. that the radio edit is just because they they cut out shit, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like that's it. Yeah, yeah um, I know it's my favorite song. Bitter has only two hundred thousand. Yeah. In my heart, and my confession, my condolence. You're indefinite. You're incompetent, inconsiderate. So childish. Yeah. Like it's it's these songs just kind of it sucks because it, it means that they're just kind of sitting there. I mean, the plus is that they're sitting there waiting to be discovered. And that's always what I hope when like when I created one hit thunder, there was a lot of things I was hoping. And a big one was like getting people to go check out some of these bands, like a lot of the bands that I have always thought were more than a one hit wonder. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like hoping that someone would like listen to the Toadies episode that we did and be like, you know what? I am going to pick up Rubberneck by to- the Toadies and discover that it's like a really great record from front to back. 
I mean, this one makes me wish that like the maddening crowd was literally on my CD shelf because I'm still a guy who buys physical CDs all the time. Mm-hmm. But like it's yeah. it's crazy. It's it's crazy to think that there's so much that they've recorded and that most of the world has never listened to it. Yeah, I was a senior in high school. It was year 2000 when this came out. The the like modern rock station there, which which is now it's like a hip hop station or something. Every year they, they used to have a a free Earth Day concert in like Bushnell Park in Hartford. And I remember my senior year, it was Goldfinger was like the headliner, actually. Nine Days, Vertical Horizon. <laughs> I remember that band, <laughs> Vertical Horizon. And this other band called Splendor. Do you remember Splendor? I don't remember Splendor. No. They did that song like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever makes you happy. <laughs> yeah. I, still I like, don't remember the song at all. <laughs> well, they're another, like, you want to go even deeper. There's, they're, they're another, like, check, check them out. They're on Spotify. I, I, it's on, like, that's, name of their record is called, like, Reach for the Sky or something like that. And they have some good tunes on there, too. And, like, a couple of the tunes are, like, very, like, moody and, like, borderline, like, emo-y, I'd say. Even though, like, it's, it's, like, very much like a, pop, you know, it's a pop rock record. But that was the only time I ever saw Nine Days. Probably three bands that you probably featured on here in, in like one day. <laughs> they seem like one of the perfect bands for Everclear's Summerland tour. And I'm shocked that they've never once done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you familiar with the Summerland tours? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Nine, day, nine days would fit in beautifully with that lineup. And it's insane yeah, that they haven't been asked. <laughs> yeah, definitely with like the Sugar Ray one for sure. <laughs> Oh yeah, like Sugar Ray, Nine Days, and like Fuel, like that is that is yeah. a great like late nineties <laughs> tour for some for some nostalgia. Would you label these guys as as we always try to wrap up? Is it is it a one hit blunder or a one hit thunder for you? Uh, one hit thunder for sure, um, <laughs> because they're they're like a good band. I mean, they obviously know how to write songs. They you know they know how to write pop songs. That that album from top to bottom. It's not like the like the rest of it is dog shit. Like yeah, you know, like that, like but that the the other song that I that you know I brought up a couple times is like the sixth or seventh song on the record. Which you know, back when people would like design records, I like, get like full albums. Uh, you know, like by you know, like by then you're basically it's kind of like a baseball lineup, right? Like you're yeah, you're starting with the graveyard around six or seven. yeah. Um, so. No, definitely. And then, you know, just the fact that they persevered for so long and, you know, I mean, like you got to give them props for that. Yeah. They use the baseball analogy. They're still in it for the love of the game. You know what I mean? It's yeah. certainly not because they're, they're selling out arenas anymore, but like their most recent record came out in like 2016, 2017. Like they're still going. That's, yeah. I applaud that. I applaud that hardcore. I agree. One hit thunder all the way. Uh, so Kyle, real quick, if people are interested in the doc that you're shooting, where's the best place for them to go and find out more information about it? Uh, you can go visit um, thelastscenedoc.com. All one word. Well, all one, it's it's a website. All one word. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, there's like a trailer on there that I did for a Kickstarter. I did a Kickstarter last summer or last fall um, to to raise some money so I could, you know, keep it a truly independent, you know, production. Um, Best I could, and uh, yeah, and the, you know, there's like a little synopsis, and there's the there's some pictures of who you know, like who I've interviewed so far. You can get a taste for it. Um, I also have a 
there's an Instagram account uh, at the last scene doc um, where I'm kind of chronicling, um, you know, uh, my interviews, which fortunately I've come to a grinding halt now. Um, I'm definitely like, I definitely still need, I've done about 50, done about 53 interviews and, um, also shot some other stuff like, you know, concerts. I've gotten to go to like several 20 year anniversary concerts, like saves the day through being cool, you know, dashboard starting line. Uh, this, this band, uh, called no motive from California. Um, that was like one of the first bands of this scene on vagrant records. Um, yeah. So, you know, go check it out. I'm going to, I'm planning on now, now that I've been like thrust into post production, starting to go through, I think I'm going to, my plan is to put together like another little, um, short, you know, teaser video for people just to kind of give them something, you know, give them, give them a little taste of like, uh, how it's shaping up. And, uh, so if you, know, you follow me on Instagram, you can, can stay up to date with that. I'm also looking for archival footage, like videos and pics, you know? So like if you were going to shows back then, uh, in VFW halls and you're one of the freaks who like, who was carrying a camera because <laughs> nobody <laughs> used to carry cameras. Right. But now everyone has cameras like in their pockets. But, uh, so like if you happen to be one of those, uh, people who, who had the camera snapping pictures and, you want to, you know, you want to have them featured in the doc, maybe, um, you know, can hit me up and uh, send them to me and hopefully I can work them in. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kyle. You guys go and check out the last scene and Kyle will keep us in the loop in the meantime. And thanks so much, Kyle, for joining us uh, for this episode about nine days. Thank you. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is produced by Matt Kelly as part of the Geekscape Network and hosted by Chris Fafalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah. You can hear Punchline's newest song, Just Stay Home, playing underneath me. Visit punchlion.com for updates as well as news, merch, and other upcoming tour dates. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting apps, and stay safe out there. Love each other. Soon we're all going to be able to hug you, but in the meantime, just stay home and tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, 
everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.